Good morning. This morning we will be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, and the verse that will be in all month, which is Romans 12:1. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say, then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And then Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Suzanne. Hey, everybody. My name is Jeremy. I'm the pastor here, and uh, glad to be with you today. You may have felt a tension between the last song that we just sang, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me, and what we just read in that passage. That is a stark passage. And so part of our work today is to understand what exactly is Jesus talking about? What is the thrust of his argument here? What is he trying to get us to understand? So let me start with a story to help maybe illustrate one of the big points. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary from 1968 until 1990. Hugely successful man. The enrollment of that college and seminary doubled during that time. He founded two radio stations during that time. Uh, He, before that, had been a missionary in Japan for 12 years with his family. He had planted five churches. He had written 19 books. Like, this dude was a beast. In 1981, at the height of his success, 
his wife, Muriel, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. From 1981 to 1990, the best that he could, he tried to balance both the work at the college and seminary and taking care of his wife. And there were those who would come along who would say, just, just you know, there's homes for people like her. Just put her there. She'll be fine. You can continue your work. God will be glorified. Everything will be great. And that just always kind of bristled against his love for his wife and his desire to care for her. And so during those nine years, she would get distressed. She would be at home uh, alone most of the time. When he was at work, she would get distressed and start walking down the street shouting his name. And so in 1990, he finally decided to lay it down, to lay down pursuing his dreams, to lay down pursuing the vision that God had given him. And now, not that there wasn't that vision, but that vision had been moved to his lovely wife, Muriel. And in his resignation speech, he says this, I love Muriel. She's a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, her occasional flashes of that wit that I used to relish, her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continual distressing frustration. I don't have to care for her. I get to. It's a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. In 2016, when he passed away, she passed away 13 years later. So he spent 13 years caring for her. In 2016, when he passed away, his obituary wasn't mostly about all the great things he'd done for the Lord. It was primarily about his love for Muriel and the overflow that that looked like as he poured his life out for her. Because love creates action. Real love, think about somebody you really love. That love for that person creates a movement towards them, a pouring out of yourself towards them, a giving of what you have for that person. That's what's happening here in this passage. When we read about doing for the least of these, you've done it for me, as Jesus is saying that. He's speaking not of the requirements to enter into his kingdom. He's speaking of a description of those who are already headed into his kingdom and the way that their heart has been shaped by the great love of their king and savior, now beginning to pour itself out for others in the same way he has poured it out to the least of these, us. We now go pour that out to somebody else. That's the dynamic that's happening in this passage. So we've been spending these past three weeks sort of taking a step back, like I'm sure many of us are doing in our businesses, in our homes, in our personal lives in many ways, kind of pulling back and saying, okay, here we are. It's the beginning of a new year, 2023. Am I living in line with what matters to me? Am I living in line with reality? In what ways have I gotten off track? In what ways have I become more reactive and less proactive? And taking this time to kind of reorient who we are and the direction that we're headed. So two weeks ago, we talked about reorienting our time. Last week, we talked about reorienting our talent towards generosity for one another. Uh, And this week, we talk about, as we close out the series, our treasure, 
Time, talent, and treasure, one of those kind of typical ways to break down the whole of our lives that we are stewarding as they've been given to us by our Lord. So the past two weeks, Jesus has taught two different parables, and they've both been sort of aiming at the same goal, teaching that faithful investment of all that has been given to us, both by virtue of just the fact that we exist, and then secondly, that has been given to us who believe in Christ, all of the spiritual riches that have been given to us, that we now begin to invest those in a way that matters to him. And that actually, as we invest those in a way that matters to him, there's something about our own humanity, our own personhood that becomes more in line with that reality, that we begin to flourish in the way, because if he made us, then he also knows how we should live. Or like James 2 says, faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean your faith is what, I'm sorry, that your works are what gets you into heaven, but it does mean that as one who is headed that direction, as one who is loved by the Lord, that that will begin to reflect in an overflow of love out of your life. Or like Martin Luther says, God doesn't need your works, but your neighbor does. That's what we're talking about today. What does neighbor love look like, particularly as we think about the treasure? that we have been given, our money, primarily. Our generosity flows from God's love like Robertson McQuilkin's generosity flowed to his wife out of what he already was overflowing with and brimming over. I don't have to care for her. I want to because I love her. She has loved me and enabled me and cared for me in all of the ways I've pursued my dreams. How can I not now care for her? So we're going to do this in, in two ways this morning. Uh, and we're actually going to take a little break in the middle. And hopefully this will become less of like a thought exercise and begin to trickle down into not only what we think, but what we feel and what we believe and how we then go out and behave. So first, the generosity of grace. We're just going to sit like two-thirds of this sermon. You're expecting a sermon on money. It ha- this two-thirds of the sermon is going to be about the generosity of Jesus. And then right at the end, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about then what might that look like as that begins to flow down over us. But let's just sit for a minute in the generosity of grace. And then we'll talk about the grace of generosity. Okay, so let's, let's go back to this passage. This one's going to take a little bit of, of peeling back some different layers. So try to hang with some of the images that Jesus is using. Here's the first image. Sheep and goats. Okay, Uh, there's this separating of sheep and goats. This is sort of an image of when Jesus returns and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth and then judges all peoples. What exactly will that look like? And he says, it's going to be like this. There's going to be these sheep and these goats, and they're all kind of mixed together. And he's pulling from an image that many in the ancient Near East would have been very familiar with who were shepherds. And the, uh, the sheep in the ancient Near East were not like sort of the Western European sheep that, were, that are like big and fluffy and happy looking and you want to hug them. These, these are like brown and dirty and they're, you know, all matted. Like these are, these would have looked very similar to the goats that are also brown and dirty and matted and have those weird eyes that go different directions. Uh, <coughs> and they all would have kind of been mixed together. And it's this description of all, all people, uh, 
across all of time are all this big mix. And people for a long time have professed that they believe in Jesus. All kinds of people have called themselves Christians, but what you and I also know to be true, even from some of our interactions with some people who may say that they believe one thing, but then live very contrary to that. And so in a way, this is, this is comforting. This is comforting to know that, one, that it's not our job to discern who's in and who's out. That's the Lord's. But it also does mean that the Lord is not confused about those who are truly following him. Uh, that's not something that he's like waiting till the very end to see, can you make it? Are you sure? Did you eke it out in those last? Did you say, you know, you're sorry enough for all the things you've done wrong? Did you do enough good works? He's not waiting for any of that. All of that is already said and done. We're going to get there. But he is now saying that there is a distinguishing mark of the true believer in Christ. What is that distinguishing mark? Generosity. You, you see his description of you cared and you visited and there was sick and there was those in prison and there was those without and you moved towards and you helped and you walked alongside. This self-giving life is a marker of one who has been shaped by the love of Jesus. So, that's kind of the big picture idea that's happening here. What we know, that also very much squares. Anytime you come up with some, a passage like this that is like, man, that's hard to understand. There's some things in there that don't seem to square with other places. Peel back, think about other places in Scripture that also say similar things. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if we peel back, think about, okay, generosity. Well, let's see. What are some other places that the Lord's heart for generosity is expressed. Maybe one that you've heard of, um, especially if you've grown up in church, if you did the, you know, the Bible sword drills and all those things growing up. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. This is the Lord talking to Micah. He has shown you what is good. How am I supposed to live my life, Lord? What am I supposed to make this life about? He's shown you what it is. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. The heart of generosity flows out of the Lord Jesus. It flows out of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus, you know, he has all kinds of these funny stories that he tells that sort of make nods to this. One of those nods is when he's like, hey, I know that normally when you throw a party, you invite a whole bunch of your friends and your neighbors and your relatives, and you invite all these people, and then the next weekend, they're going to throw a party, and then you can go, and all the, the money and the time that you spent on that, you're going to get to go enjoy that somewhere else with someone else. And Jesus goes, but what if you think about it like this? What about when you, the next time you throw a party, I want you to invite the poor. I want you to invite the crippled. I want you to invite the lame, and the blind, because they can't pay you back. The merciful heart of Jesus going out to the highways and the hedges, as he says, going out to the least and the lost, that is the heart of Jesus flowing out. And he uses another familiar image here. If you have read much in the Psalms, this is a very familiar image that all of us uh, have, 
have come across, especially in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice that the, the image that Jesus uses here is not of like lions and hyenas. It's not like you got the champions and then you got the deadbeats. You got the good guys and then you got the bad guys. He talks about sheep and goats. He says, all of you guys are either sheep or goats. These are farm animals. These, especially what we know of sheep of the time, I imagine goats weren't much better, but sheep were wanderers. They had to be herded because otherwise they would just sort of go this way and like lemmings, just sort of one by one fall off the cliff. It's actually, there's a, you know, we don't have many sheep herders around here that we can see, but there is a, uh, there's a city called Cornwall that's right on the coast, just outside to the southwest of London. And this is a headline that recently came through their local newspaper. A sheep lying on its back could be dying. Here's what you can do. Don't laugh. It's not sunbathing. That was the subtitle. That wasn't just me. It goes on to say, the next time that you're on a stroll in the Cornwall countryside and you see a sheep on its back, help, help it, roll it back over. <laughs> Seems kind of strange. Because it goes on to say that sheep on their back equals sheep slowly suffocating. Because a sheep, they got these tiny little legs. And if they roll over, they're constantly digesting all that grass that they're eating all the time, and the, all of that air begins to sit on them and slowly suffocates them. A sheep on its back is a dead sheep, either by way of suffocation or by way of being open to any kind of predator, even crows, that can take that thing out. And so the next time you're strolling through the Cornwall countryside and you see a sheep, flip it over. Uh, Psalm 23 then begins to take on a fresh meaning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. <laughs> he flips me back over <laughs> in green pastures. The image of a sheep is one of helplessness and need and dependency, of foolishness, of constant wandering away, of rolling over again and again and again. That's the image that Jesus is portraying. He's not saying there's the good guys and the bad guys. The good guys get in, the bad guys get away from me. He says anyone who's needy, anyone who's dependent, Anyone who keeps rolling over on their belly time after time after time, giving themselves over to worship of the created things and not the creator. I won't yell at my kids. I won't lust. I won't fear what others think. I won't overspend, overeat, overdrink, and yet, oh, I did it again. That's the image of those that Jesus says, yes. I want all of that. I want all that mess. I want all that need. I want all that dependence squarely on my shoulders. I can handle it. Because the final picture here is that of Jesus sitting on a throne. 
And one of the most recent times as you read through the Bible that the image of God sitting on a throne is found is in Daniel 7, the prophetic book of Daniel. Except there's a little bit of difference to it. It fills out our understanding of what Jesus is doing sitting there on that throne. So it says Jesus will come and sit on his throne. Back to Daniel 7, it's this image. God gives this revelation, this picture to Daniel of a day where there is the ancient of days, this image of Yahweh who comes and sits on this throne. And he has this vision and this image of this ancient of days sitting on this throne and all of his glory and power and dominion. And then it goes on a few verses later and says, and then one like a son of man, which in that context and culture just meant a dude. And then a dude comes along and he stands before that ancient of days. And the response that the ancient of days that God gives that man is yes. Glory, dominion, kingdom is yours. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve you. God handed over his kingdom to a man. And what we know to be true on this side of the cross is that that is the picture of the ascension of Jesus. That Jesus is one who came and walked in our shoes. And that as one who came and walked in our shoes, accruing this perfect record of righteousness his whole life, and he accrues, lives 33 years perfectly. I can't live 33 seconds. And then he takes that righteousness to the Father, and the Father says, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Glory on glory, holiness, perfection. Come on in, sit at my right hand, yes. And then Jesus says, I didn't only live so that I could get in your good graces as the perfect man, but also the perfect son of God. I also got this whole crew of people. I got this whole crew of sheep back here, and I'm bringing them all with me because I not only have lived this perfect life so that I can stand before you and have all authority to govern over all people, but now I want to give some of that to them. I want to give this righteousness that I have to them. And I want to cancel all of their goofiness, all of their debt, all of their sin, every time they've rolled over, every time they've wandered away, every time they've squandered their finances, every time they've been confused, every time they've been lost, every time they've looked with a lustful eye, every time they've grieved the Holy Spirit by continuing to turn their back on Jesus. I want them to come in with me. And to do that, I've not only lived a perfect life, but I've died their death. Like Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's the picture of Jesus on the throne here with all of these sheep in tow who have had the perfect righteousness of Jesus given to them and have had the perfect death of Jesus to cover all of their sin and to take all of the ways that God should say, get away from me, which is a picture of those who do not stand under Christ, who have not said, yes, upon his work, I stand. Not on my own, I can't. There's no way. 
then that generous gift begins to flow downhill to all of us sheep. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a minute and pause and breathe and worship and reflect, is that my story? Have I come to that place where I've said, I am a sheep. I am needy. I am lost. I am helpless. I bring nothing but need and grossness. But I bring that to the one who has all power and all beauty and all righteousness and all holiness and all glory. And so as you worship, we're going to trust that what the Bible says will begin to happen, that more and more we will be conformed, that his generous heart will be given to us. And then after that, we'll talk about what we might do with it. But let's just sit and rest in that grace for a minute, okay? Ben, could you guys come up? Let me pray. So Father, I pray for a sweet time of worship, even that you would just capture us in this moment by your great grace. Uh, that we can collectively and even individually in our hearts enable us to see our own sheepness. Enable us to see all the places that we miss it and wander away from you, our King, all the time. And then woo us back, woo us back again, even in this time as we sing, we pray in Christ. Amen. So you may or may not remember this. This may be another illustration that dates me a little bit. Uh, you remember the publisher's clearinghouse checks? Yeah. You remember those things? Like there'd be this, you know, this group of people with these balloons and this giant check and they show up at somebody's door and they knock <coughs> and totally unbeknownst to that person, they open the door and they're like, oh my gosh, balloons, giant check. What does this mean? And then they just get handed this giant check for however much it is. And then their whole life changes. Uh, how would a billion dollars change your life? Just roughly. I think one word that comes to mind to describe what a billion dollars in my bank account might do other than tempt me in all kinds of ways is security. Now, there can be a false security in that for sure. That's not the direction I'm going. But think about the security that a big giant check for a billion dollars would give, how, how freely might you begin to give away? How freely might you begin to go, oh, sh I see, I've got more than I need. I've got more than I even know what to do. I'm going to have to hire somebody and give them some of this so they can help me figure out what to do with it. The image here is one of abundance that what we are being invited into, what we just saying that is true about us is abundance. We only give as freely as we have been given. And so freely have we been given. So then what might it look like? What Applying this passage to the everyday normalcy of life, what could that look like? Let me suggest three things and then, uh, and then we'll be done. Three images that I think this passage gives us. The first is church as insurance policy. I want you to notice this. Uh, when, when Jesus is talking to the sheep and he's welcoming them in, he says, I was naked, I was lost, I was sick, I was a stranger, 
and then you welcomed me. And then he says, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. So he's speaking there, not exclusively, but primarily about how we care for one another in the church. How we care for one another in the body of Christ. And even very specifically, how we care for each other at Midtown Creve Hall. So what you've done for the least of these, my brothers, you do to me, begins to, to create like this really fun insurance policy. Paul kind of riffs on this when he's talking about generosity too. He's like, isn't it genius that God created a body of people that have been so freed that they can give freely, not under any compulsion, to this sort of giant pot, this giant collection, and then any who have need in their body, that's poured out for. And then he says, but the great thing about that is that then one day you might find yourself in that ditch. You might find yourself in need. And the beauty of that is in the same way that you cared for that person when they were in that spot, so they might care for you when you're in that same spot. So things like meal trains, like that is a very practical way that you are exercising this, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done for me. Like when you are in that place of, I don't know what day it is. I've just got this new baby. I feel like I'm drowning. Uh, I'm not sure if it's night or day. They definitely don't know if it's night or day. What do I do? And then there's this whole group of people that show up every day or two to your house and smile at you and give you food and say, I'm sorry, I know it's harder, it'll get better. That is a very practical way that this very giant principle begins to work itself out. This happens in your small groups. This happens in one-on-one -on -one conversations as you see needs within this body. So that's, this body then responds and cares for that. And there's a primacy to that. Paul puts some words to this in Galatians 6, and he goes, do good to everybody, for sure, especially those in the household of faith. And so there is a primacy as we think about our generosity financially that we would first think about what are the needs within our community. Secondly, uh, the church as missionary agency. Jesus is also, all of this conversation about you were in prison, you were naked, you were hungry, you were needy, is hearkening back to something he's already said. In Matthew 10, as he's just sending out his 12 disciples to do this missionary work, to begin this work of proclaiming the gospel, he then on the very tail end of that tells anybody who will listen, anybody who gives one of these 12 disciples even a cup of cold water, then you'll have your reward. And then he pulls that image into this global now mission agency that the church is. And he says, as, as you've given to those 12 and helped them to get from house to house to proclaim the gospel in the surrounding area, so now we as the church do the same thing. We are an extension of that initial 12 disciple missionary agency. And so this is a call not only to give among the needs of our body individually, but also to give to the needs of our community spiritually and physically. There is a need for the gospel more and more to go out in Creve Hall and in South Nashville. There is more need than even any of us individually could give to that, but we're going to trust the Lord to multiply these few fishes and loaves that we have. 
And so what started in the Old Testament as a tithe, which was 10% of sort of the first fruits of what everyone had, now in the New Testament just explodes in this principle of radical generosity. Trusting that as soon as we unfill our pockets, that the Lord is filling them back up again. Like what we just were saying over and heard in Romans 8, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not even a thing. And so we give to the church to fund this mission of making disciples. That's the reason we exist. That's the reason we show up every week. And that's what this church, that's what my salary, that's what this body of elders and leaders is all about. We pay for the lights to come on every week. Uh, We pay for salaries. We pay for kid town. All of those things that's necessary to make the life of our church happen. And then finally, uh, church as the light of the world. So, of course, this also is not to the exclusion of caring for the least and the lost and the last in anywhere you might find yourself this week. Of course, the overflow of what the Lord has done in here also then creates a security, even like real financial security to go, I can be really generous and, you know, even outside of the doors of the church, again, knowing that these people got my back. These people will care for me when I'm in need. These people will continue to encourage and shepherd me even when I screw up and lose it. And so those three images, the church as internal insurance policy, as mission agency, and as light to the world, I think are three applications that we can take as we give to each other individually within the church, as we give to the mission of the church corporately through our tithes and offerings, and as we give uh, to those in need as we find them uh, where we live and work and play. So here's what I'd ask you to do. Uh, As we close up, I want you to think back about your time and your talent and your treasures. Think of one way that the Lord might be asking you this year to give away your time, to give away your talent, to give away your treasure. And pull out your phone, log it in your memory bank, write it on your journal. What could one thing be that you could ask the Lord to give you the courage, the boldness, and to fill up as soon as you give out of your time and your talent and your treasures? Let's stand and worship, okay?